Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, dear Christian friends. The tappers predicted that the listeners would accurately guess the correct tune 50% of the time. That was their prediction. The reality, however, was far from that 50% prediction. It was 2.5%. So of the the prediction, the tappers guessed that, that 60 of the tunes, the melodies, would be guessed, 60 out of the 120, when in reality, only three of the songs were known by those listening. This was a a simple study that was done by a graduate at Stanford years back. And and the study was simply this. There was a group of tappers who could choose from 120 different tunes or melodies, familiar songs, and they would choose those songs, and then all they had to do was tap them out to see if listeners could guess which tune they were tapping. Now, the study was remarkable in this, not so much because of the success or failure rate of how many listeners guessed the right tunes, three out of 120, but what really grabbed everybody's attention in this study was how wide the gap was between the tapper's prediction and the reality. In other words, what they thought those listening would guess compared to what they in reality knew. Well, there's come to be a a name that is really applied to this, and perhaps you've heard it, the curse of knowledge. And it makes sense as you think about why the tappers would have made such a high prediction of those guessing the proper tunes, because as they're tapping out the tunes in their heads, they know the melody. So once they know the tune that they have chosen, they can't tap it without hearing it in their own heads. To the listeners, however, who have no clue what song it is, all it sounds like is a bunch of random tapping, as if somebody's tapping on the desk or or some clueless uh, Morse code attempt. See how difficult it would be to guess, And, and you've probably experienced this as well if you've ever played charades or any game where you have to draw something and, and, and help somebody else guess it. You don't even have to be the, the greatest artist or actor. You know how frustrating it can be when you know the word or the phrase that you're trying to convey to somebody, and it's maddening when your team cannot, for the life of them, figure it out. See, you in your head know what the word or the phrase is, so anything you draw, anything you act out, makes perfect sense to you. But to those on the the receiving end of it, they're, they're clueless. It's lost on them. The curse of knowledge. This can, can have some, some pretty negative results as well. Consider the teacher in the classroom who has been attempting to try and convey a certain new material or, or some knowledge to her students. And she knows the material very well, and she has perhaps even researched a number of different creative ways to teach to get across this material. So what does she conclude when the students don't get it? They are disinterested. Maybe they're they're not trying very hard. Maybe they just couldn't care less about it. Or maybe they're just not intelligent. 
Now, now, none of those conclusions may actually be accurate, but if this teacher is unaware of this gap that can be caused by the curse of knowledge, then she might draw any of those faulty conclusions to the detriment of her students. Now let's step from the classroom into the church and ask ourselves that same question. Is it possible that this curse of knowledge can also apply to us who are in Christ? When we consider our perspective or the view that we have on those outside of the church, those who don't have the knowledge that we do, and if we're not aware of this potential for this gap, for this difference, then we might find ourselves coming to a pretty hasty, a pretty quick judgment about those in the world. And, and the fact of the matter is, why would we expect them to, to act or behave or believe differently if they don't know what we do? And this gets especially tricky when we're talking about spiritual matters because now it's not just a matter of faith, is it? Uh, or rather, it's not a matter of knowledge, it's a matter of faith, which also then informs how we live, how we act, how we think. But if we don't recognize this potential gap between the curse of knowledge and our Christian faith and, and those who don't have it, why would we expect those who don't know their Savior and the confidence that we have in Him and the gift of eternal life that we have in Him to live any differently if they don't have that knowledge? So our prayer this morning is that first we would rejoice that that knowledge of Jesus as our Savior through faith has been revealed to us. But the prayer is also then that, that we would not allow that curse of knowledge, our understanding, our Christian faith, to keep us, to impede us from then making known to others what has been revealed to us. Do you even remember what it was like when you didn't have faith in Jesus. Now, some of you don't and can't remember because you have been Christians your whole lives, and I would fall into that category, and without apology. I'm grateful and still thankful to this day that I grew up in a household where Sunday morning was not a negotiation. The kids didn't have any say in the matter. We were going to church every Sunday, something that is kind of lost on our culture today. It's what you do as God's people. And you have devotions, and you pray before meals, and before bedtime. And, and, and as much as anything, it was the Christian example and the Christian living that, that parents instilled. And while that was a blessing, of course, recognize now how difficult or challenging it can be now to relate to somebody who has not always had that. Again, I wouldn't trade it because in that blessing I see the words of, of Paul that he wrote to the Ephesians come true for me personally. And, and undoubtedly you do for you as well. When he wrote in, in verse 2 of chapter 3 to his, in his letter to the Ephesians, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. Paul knew that that gift of grace was given to him, but it wasn't just for him. It was for the Ephesians. And that has been carried on from generation to generation down through to me. So that I can say, through the line, God has connected all of the dots, so that grace that was given to Paul was given for me and for you. We just 
wrapped up, no pun intended, the, the, the Christmas season. And, and I think it's pretty well shared, I guess, amongst everybody that it's kind of frowned upon to re-gift, right? Somebody gives you a gift and you're not crazy about it, so you wrap it up and you give it to somebody else. Or if you already know what it is, you don't even unwrap it. <laughs> you realize that that's exactly what, what Paul is calling us to do, to re-gift grace. That Paul knew that grace had been gifted to him but now God called him to re-gift that grace to the Gentiles and not to stop there, but indeed to take that gift of grace to the ends of the earth so that it would even reach the likes of you. But not stop with you, because you, like Paul, can say it was given to me for you. In other words, the people that God has placed in your life. And this isn't some awareness, some, some recognition that, that came about by yourself. You didn't wake up one day and say, you know, maybe I'm going to wise up and, and give this Christianity thing a chance. But Paul makes it clear how this gift came about to you. In verse 5, he says that it has been made known, not in, in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. We don't take credit for this. We can't claim anything as Paul knew as well as anybody. This is the work of the Holy Spirit that has revealed Jesus as your Savior and the one who fully forgives your sins. It's good to be in the know, isn't it? In different scenarios in life, perhaps it it matters more than others. I suppose being in the know with an inside joke isn't really the, the end of the world if you, you know what's behind it in the context or, or you don't. It, you maybe chuckle. You can appreciate it if you're in the know, right? If there's a, a great deal or a, a sale that's going on somewhere, it's good to be in the know and, and to have information about that so you can get a good deal as well. But it's not the end of the world if you don't. And then there are scenarios in life where being in the know is really a matter of life and death. If you are choking on something, you don't just hope that somebody around you has heard about the Heimlich Maneuver. You, you hope and you pray that somebody knows it and is able to confidently perform it and save your life. If you are in a, build, a building that is burning to the ground, you don't just hope that you know the, the, the way to get out. You want to know exactly where that exit is. You want to be in the know. Friends, God has shown the light and the, the grace of Jesus Christ in you so that you know what is most important. There's no unknown when you breathe your last. God has revealed to you that you are securely wrapped up in Jesus' arms through faith. He's revealed that to you. Rejoice in what epiphany means for you. And now don't let that, that joy, that, that revelation that God has worked in you, don't let that become a curse that keeps you from making known to others what has been revealed to you. Ultimately, that is God's purpose, isn't it? 
Paul continued in, in verse 6, he said, This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Do you realize that, that by virtue of you being brought to faith in Christ, you are a part of an exclusive group? You notice how many times in different ways Paul used the, the phrase together? You are together with Israel. He was talking about Jews and, and Gentiles, but you're heirs together. You have the same inheritance coming to you as every believer who has ever walked to the earth. You are also uh, one body together, right? Not a bunch of individuals, and, and you also are sharers together in the promise that Christ gives you. Do, you. do you see an emphasis there? That there's a unity. You have brought into something bigger than just yourself. When Jesus revealed that He was your Savior. You have been brought together with other believers. So this nonsense that is so popular today about spirituality being an individual thing, and I don't need organized religion, as if it's this, this excuse or this past that, that gets away from gathering together with the saints, that is never what God had in mind. His purpose was always to call you together into the body of Christ. To share together with one another, with each other, the joys and the spiritual blessings that he has given to you. Christianity was never meant to be an individual on an island standing alone. God wants us to be together. He has called us together. And why do you think that is? Why do you think it is that, that Paul emphasizes that here? Not just so that there's strength, and comfort, and confidence, and encouragement as we build each other up. But there's another purpose. Paul continues in verses 9 through 11. The purpose is to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you catch the, the first part to make plain to everyone? Friends, if we're not aware of that potential curse of knowledge that we might have as Christians, we might be inclined to think that God really doesn't need this to be revealed to the new coworker that's difficult to get along with or, or that smelly person that I passed on the street or my family member that is extremely, extremely irritating or the person who looks different than I do or the person who speaks a different language than I do. This is where the re-gifting part comes in. What has been gifted to us is now to be made known to others. I mentioned, and many of you can relate to this because you come from the same background and scenario, that I grew up only knowing what it was like to be absolutely confident of heaven and eternal life. It was never a question, never a doubt. I was instilled in me from my baptism to this very day. Now, you might think, well, that would be a, a challenge then, perhaps. If that's all you've ever known, then you can't relate to those who don't have that knowledge. It might be more of a challenge. And, and yet, I can confidently say at this point in my ministry that God has given me unique gifts to be able 
to relate to and connect to people outside of the church, to care about them, to listen to them, to take time for them, and not just us. And yet, did you notice that then in his words, when, when Paul said that this administration of grace was for everyone, he didn't direct one individual person or pastor to be doing that work. Listen to who he, he charged and tasked with that in verse 10 again. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Did you hear those three words? Through the church. Friends, that's you. Remember, you have been brought together. You, we, are the church. And God's design, his desire was never just to bring a select few together and then that would be the dead end. That the gospel has, has borne its fruit and that's enough, but, but he's brought us together with a very specific purpose so that we together, through the church, you and me, could make known to others what has been revealed to us. What a great joy that we have. There's never a doubt or a question, why am I here? What is my purpose? Where do I belong? How do I fit in? You've been brought together for the purpose of making known to others that Jesus is their Savior. It's simple. It's not complicated. But it does, it does require intention. We do have to connect with people outside of the church. Is that on your list of, of goals for 2020, to say, I'm going to, to be intentional about getting to know one, two, three, four, five, who knows how many people this year, with the very specific purpose of making known to them what God has graciously revealed to me? For the very specific purpose of regifting grace, so that they might know and have a relationship with God as you do. Have you ever had it happen where uh, you and a friend share a, a common friend, a, a third friend, and, and as you're talking about your friendship with this third individual, your one friend has a totally different opinion of them. You say, whoa, that's what you really think of him or her? That's not been my experience at all. I have known him or her only to be this, that, the other thing. Do you know how many people there are in this world right now that have the wrong impression of of who God is, that they are totally confused, totally clueless, totally buying into whatever the devil is sowing as far as God and his relationship with them? What if we made known to them who God really is? The God of grace who has revealed that in Jesus we have the Savior we all need. And what a, what a different outcome it would be if they saw this kind of God that, that Paul spelled out for us in verse 13. He said, I ask you, or, or verse 12 rather, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. You have both of those in Christ Jesus. You have freedom and you have confidence to bring everything on your heart before your loving and gracious God. How would others' opinion of God change? 
if we took the time this year to make known to them what has been revealed to us so that they too could approach him with freedom and confidence. Amen.